Hmm. I feel like we're missing something. Hmm. I kind of got. I kind of know what you're talking about. I just. It's a weird feeling, huh? I think we're missing that guy. That um, guy. What's his oh. name? Uh. Uh. Um, I mean, you know, he's got the beard. Yeah, and the, and he always wears the hats. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, he always talks about his kids and Egypt, and stuff, right? And I think he's into Doctor Who. Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. <sighs> yeah, me neither. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Sarah Ashley. And I'm Brian Moriarty. Uh, and uh, we didn't actually forget who Eric was. <laughs> or is, I should say. He is still alive. Yeah. Um, but We're not trapped said, in Neverland, right? Where all of a sudden you begin to forget what your life was like outside of uh, Neverland, yeah, basically. What, so What's a mother? Exactly. Yeah, we're, we are not the lost children. No. So, um, Although we do feel a little lost without Eric at times. A little bit, a little bit. So, um, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually just super busy with work these days as per usual, but um, have been making time on the weekends for a little bit of fun. Went to Palm Springs one weekend with uh, Billy from Girls With Issues podcast, so it was fun hanging out with her one weekend. And then last weekend, I learned how to ski. That's awesome. Yep. So that was a, <laughs> an interesting experience. How are you doing? Um, good, good. So I just uh, recently, me and my girlfriend went to Seattle for the weekend. Um, one, because she'd never been, but also because I was auditioning for a grad school program. Nice, and, nice. How'd the audition go? Uh, I think <clears throat> I think I did everything I could have um, in mm-hmm. the moment. But, um, you know, it's it's very hard when you when you go to a grad school because they... For one, they're looking for their company for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. So they're already trying to fill in a gap that is very hard for us to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so different than than auditioning for just a film or, or for a play because in the film and the play, like they give you the description of what they're looking for right off the bat. So right off the bat, you can tell, okay, this is something I'm, I'd be good for. This is something I'd not be good for. Whereas with a program, you don't know what they're looking for, so you—it's really—it's going in blind, and mm. you do—you do, you know, there's a bunch of things you can do that are supposedly have worked well in the past, but ultimately, it's—it's it's kind of a crapshoot based on the adjudicator or the adjudicators and what they like. So, um, I—I I don't know. I think I probably could have done a couple of things differently, and they're—but pro- I'm probably not what they're looking for. So. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and keep a positive outlook for you anyway. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, as you notice, guys, we weren't kind of kidding. So, yeah, Eric is uh, is out. He'll be out the next couple episodes. Taking a little breather. Yeah. We promise he will be back um, yep. in March. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he doesn't have another kid coming. We promise. So it's not like. Oh, thank God. Because, you, know, <laughs> you know, the last two marches, that's where he's where he's been. Right. Um, but we're going to do something a little different, though. Um, I've always kind of been interested in looking at history from a single person's perspective and getting their story it's, on history. It's effectively living history. Exactly. Mm-hmm. When I was thinking about, well, who could I interview that would get us that kind of perspective? Well, I mean, we have Eric's dad, who's, you know, he's in his 70s, and mm-hmm. you know, he's been around quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um but then I also thought, well, you know, I've always loved listening to my grandfather's stories. 
mm-hmm. and um, listening to this to the life he's had. And so I thought what we would do is we would interview him instead. It's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I'm, I, I already know just from hearing the stories from him before that he's got lots of good stuff to share with mm-hmm. us. Uh, you know, he was a child of the Great Depression, and he he's just got a very unique in, in take because he's seen this place where we live, which is, of course, the San Francisco Bay Area. He's seen it completely change sure, over the course of only 40 years or so. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I would love to get his kind of take on that and his... Yeah perspective and um well and it's a good opportunity to do this while you do have a podcast i know i lost my grandfather um a few years ago and one of the projects he did before he passed um was he wrote his own autobiography and so i have a i have a book that talks about him growing up in the great depression having to drive across from california to kentucky for a few years when he was a young young kid and come back and, uh, and then what it was like for him being stationed in World War II over in the China-Burma-India front and being an aerial photographer during that time and then being an architect throughout the 60s and 70s. And it's pretty fascinating um, information, like, you know, pretty fascinating to, to check it out. And so it's one of those really good opportunities to remember that your family members, your older family members have lived through so much and they've probably got the best stories to tell. So really take advantage of it while they're here. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much, he hit the nail on the head is why I wanted to do it is, and you know, and plus he's also got this very rich baritone voice and I would love to, you know, we have pictures, which is great. And we'll have, we Mm -hmm. have so many pictures of him, but I would love to have a really good quality audio Mm -hmm. of him that we can have just to, and that will, that can live on, that will live on, for as long as computers exist, for as long as the internet doesn't collapse. Right. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to cut to that now. And we really hope, I hope we enjoy it. We haven't done it yet. We're, I'm going to be interviewing him tomorrow. Um, but we really hope you enjoy it. Okay, well, here we are. Uh, it's a nice Wednesday afternoon. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Larry Mortensen, M-O-R-T-E-N-S-E-N. And... Uh... Point of fact, that uh, is not my birth name. My birth name was Crink. Uh, a parting of ways of my mother and father when I was about three months old. And uh, eventually my mother remarried and I took the name of Mortensen. Got it. And that was your stepfather's correct name. And so where, would, where did all this happen? Well, I was born in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. And uh, Garfield Park Hospital... Dr. Nichols was the doctor's name. Okay. And uh, it was not a uh, it was not a good birth in that uh, they had to do some extraneous things, and because of that, my mother could not bear any other children. Uh, shortly after that, uh, we moved to uh, what is known as Hell's Kitchen in New York City. Wow. And uh, I do have some recollections of of that time. I had an uncle by marriage, uh, married to my uh, eldest aunt, Margaret, Margaret Lowenthal. He was a, uh, at one time, had been on Pershing staff and down on the border of Mexico and uh, around El Paso and Alpine, Texas, etc. Uh, he was on his staff. 
Now, uh, that is where Margaret and he met up and they eventually married. Now, uh, they lived over in Brooklyn and after a sojourn in uh, Hell's Kitchen, my mother worked as a waitress and uh, we moved for a short period of time in with my aunt and a brownstone at 154 Prospect Park West. I think right. I've been there actually re- within right the last Right across the years. street from the park. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, what was it like? Do you remember living in Hell's Kitchen? I do. Uh, uh, just for the simple reason of events that took place, I, I, my exact age at that particular time, I don't recall. Okay. But uh, uh, my uncle would uh, come by and we'd go for long walks. And uh, I remember uh, that in that area and also when we were living in Brooklyn we'd go on long long walks and I remember the hurdy-gurdy men they were the ones with the uh, little hand crank organ grinders okay and they were like street performers and uh, they were like street performers and they some of them had monkeys with a tin cup and they uh, the monkey went around with a tin cup and collected change etc and uh, I do remember those and I do remember uh, that there were sections. We would go through the Italian section, we'd go through the Jewish section, we'd go through the Polish section. Uh, and they were, that's just the way New York was made up at that particular time. Right, a kind of a de facto segregation that was happening. In yeah. a sense, uh, yeah, they, they stuck pretty close together. Okay, yeah. And then it makes sense because you want to keep your culture. That was the kind of sense that you bring your culture from your yeah. old country. It had its va- advantages and uh, also its disadvantages. Mm-hmm. Some were held back and others moved out and uh, moved on. Uh, and it was, uh, we had people that lived there their entire, li- entire lives and never went out of a six block area. Wow. And uh, it, was, uh, it was amazing. But uh, that it's, was their life. Just It's that really great juxtaposition. You have the largest city in the country, arguably one of the largest cities in the world at that point, and people living in this tiny little microcosm yes. of that. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. And uh, I do remember uh, downtown New York uh, and uh, seeing all the lights and everything. Of course, uh, there were more lights at graduated later on. Sure, because th- you're talking about this is the mid-1930s at this point, right? Mid- Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, long during that time, my grandmother was living with us, and uh, my uh, eldest uncle worked for the Union Pacific Railroad, so we got a rate. Oh, really? On, uh, on the railroad. All we had to do was pay the tax. Okay. And, and uh, he could get us on board and go anyplace and... Etc. So he he arranged, and uh, we went on a trip, and this was uh, around uh, I would say mid mid late or late mid thirties, uh, and uh, in 1939, in point of fact, I was in San Francisco, and the uh, we were visiting an aunt and her son. He was a Marine. He was stationed at Moffett Field at that time. And he was one of the first uh, members of the, quote, uh, Marine Air Corps, end quote. 
pre Air Force, basically. Yeah, yeah. pre pre Air Force for them for the for the Marines that they did not have. Right, and then he was a sergeant, uh, and oh. he had uh, quite a bit to do with the dirigibles at that time. They were the big thing. Sure, and uh, I remember getting a little toy from him that had uh, little hooks underneath it. It was a dirigible. And the little planes you could hook up underneath it. Wow. I'd love to know where it went. But <laughs> so this is 39. So that means the Golden Gate Bridge was pretty much new at that it point. It was new in 1937. Wow. It was opened. Yeah. So how did it look being brand new? I, re- I just really remember the lights. Yeah. It was just uh, amazing. And uh, uh, there are certain things that, because uh, uh, I was very young, uh, that stuck in my mind. Uh there was a uh, Chinese restaurant that we uh, were taken to, and I remember uh, seeing it was it was just uh, uh, what I thought was so great was we were sitting there and we're eating Chinese and we're looking out the Golden Gate Bridge. Wow! <laughs> and, uh, Doesn't get more picturesque than that. Yeah, it was, and I, I that's a very vivid memory. And then from there we uh, went down and. Uh, Visited my aunt in her home, uh, which was down in by Pasadena, by Los Angeles, and uh, we spent a brief amount of time there. Uh, over which uh, the uh, parade rose, one of the rose parades. Uh, uh, I remember it. I remember seeing it, and uh, it. Uh, I don't remember exactly which one numerically, but. I do remember it. Probably an early one, yeah. 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 And then we and then from there we went back and uh we went back to the Midwest in Plattsmouth, Nebraska, where my great grandfather lived. Okay. Now my great grandfather at that time, he lived to be ninety two. Wow. He was born in eighteen fifty three. So I talked to a lot of history there. He was uh he was an amazing man. He the house we lived in he plumbed and built himself. And uh, quite quite a guy. Did he fight in the in the war, the Civil War? No, his, no, his uh, one of his brothers did, and he was due to go in. He was going to go in as a drummer boy, but uh, by the time his birthday rolled around, the war ended. So oh, interesting. He, so he didn't get to go. He lucked out. Wow. Yeah, and uh, no, he wanted to go. Believe me, and they took him as young as eight then, and he was going to be eleven. Wow. <laughs> so literally infantry is what you're talking about. Oh yeah. yeah. Drummer boy and they and they were right out there with the troops. Yeah. Yeah. But he uh he had uh thirteen children of uh, of which I knew uh I can recall at least a do- oh, half a dozen and uh uh of his uh his progeny and uh Plattsmouth, Nebraska, my wife used to get a big kick out of it. She said, oh, that's a one-horse town. I said, no, it's a one-mule town. <laughs> and every spring, the uh, river rose and came right up the main street. And for the longest time, until until the 70s, the main street was all cobblestone. And they finally paved it over. Really? Yeah. Wow. And... Uh, I lived I lived there with them for a, a brief amount of time, and then in 1940 I moved back uh, with my mother and Jim Mortensen in Greenport, Long Island. Which Got is, it. So you went back to New York. Eight, yeah. Okay. In, uh, which is eight miles from Orient Point. That's on the that's on the Connecticut side or 
you call it the sound. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and uh, I was there during the start of the Second World War, and uh, in fact, I remember exactly where I was when that we were advised that uh, Pearl Harbor had been attacked. Remember that? Now remember the time difference was uh, was tremendous there, and we were over at my godparents' house for uh, for uh, a lunch, and. Uh, of course, I always listened to the radio then. There was no TV, of course. Right. So you just had, like, was there music on, or what was happening prior? Uh, something like that. I don't remember the exact program, but I know I do remember that they interrupted the program and stated uh, what had happened. Wow. Yeah. It was uh, uh, the Japanese have uh, bombed Pearl Harbor, and I had no idea where Pearl Harbor was, of course, at that time. I was far too young. Right. You were about five or six at this but point. But right? all I knew was that I sensed from everybody that it was really uh, very serious. Wow. And uh, I said, well, we're at war. Yeah. And uh, that's where I was until uh, uh, late 1943, 44, and we moved up to Rochester, New York. Okay. Wow. My, uh, my stepfather had been a butcher all his life. And he wanted to get out of it, and he wanted to uh, try something different. So I don't know why they chose Rochester, but they did. And he went to work for the railroad up there. Interesting. And my mother uh, waitressed, and they right. were. We lived in a uh, second store on the second story of a house uh, run by this lady. She rented the whole second floor to us, and. Uh, it was uh, very interesting. I remember three feet of snow fell in one night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I dug tunnels all through the yard. Yeah, good thing you were on the second floor. <laughs> yeah, literally I went out the, I went out the uh, window and off the porch into snowbanks. <laughs> wow. It was, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Wow. And I went to Catholic school there. Okay. And uh, then... Uh, my 10th birthday came around while I was there, 1944. Okay. And uh, not too long after that, uh, they shipped me back down to my grandmother and my great-grandfather back in Plasmouth because it, it was uh, it was kind of rough. They were both working, and and uh, I didn't see much of them. Got it. It was, uh, it was a little rough time there. So you were kind of keeping to yourself mostly. Yeah, I was almost like a, like a latchkey kid wow. in, in that respect. The uh, the lady that ran the house, she made sure that I got dinner okay, and so forth. But also one of my things was I would tuck her in to bed at night. Oh. <laughs> it was funny. But, wow. uh, oh, yeah, she was, she, was a, she was a pistol. So taking a second, because we're, you're going through all this during the progression of World War II, and I'm curious... You say that when you started, you didn't you didn't quite understand other than just this feeling that was very serious. Oh yeah. I'm curious, how did that perception change as you got older? Because you were what ten or eleven when the war ended. Uh, well, actually, I was uh, ten, nineteen forty-five, August. I had not turned. So you were still nine about at that I point. I was still ten. Oh, you were still ten. Okay. I was still ten. Uh, but. No, uh, the gravity of the whole thing uh, in a child's mind, that was a child, let's face it, you know, and, and it, I knew it was serious and I knew that uh, 
we, my mother, when we were living in Greenport, she ran a boarding house for this lady that owned the house. And uh, it was called the Manhattan House. And my third grade teacher, her husband, in fact, I think his name was Ted Tate, if I recall correctly, he was in D-Day. Wow. Uh, in uh, June 44, June 6. And then another another uh, boarder at the house there, her husband, and he was, a, uh, he was in the Navy as well. Uh, Ted, I believe, was a CG with Coast Guard. And he was a uh, coxswain aboard one of the landing craft. And they, they said, well, you know, the CG's never left the United States. Well, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, uh, one unique thing about Rochester was they were very into uh, the support of our troops and everything. And it's a big, big boulevard, very wide. And who got the idea? I have no idea. But... All of a sudden, uh, they built islands, literally islands, depicting the islands that we were taking in the Pacific, like Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Saipan, etc. And uh, as each one was uh, conquered and we, we took it over, they put an American flag on it. Interesting. And they were, and they were, pretty, they were pretty cool. I mean, they were not small. I mean, they put the piled the dirt there, and they they went into a lot of detail. And you know, for a boy, I thought, "Wow, this is <laughs> this is cool." Yeah. <laughs> you know? But you know, I did not realizing, you know, I mean, uh, the the uh, agonies that took place on, on some of those places. Sure. Not until later. Right. Um, but uh, I knew about the uh, Jewish situation while I was still in uh, in Greenport. There was a friend of mine, his name was David Scheffelman. His dad owned a drugstore and had a soda fountain there. And it was through him that uh, I found out, you know, about the internment camps and so on and so forth, probably before a lot of people. Again, you know, I didn't realize how serious that was. So how was that happening? Was that through correspondence they from... Received, they received letters that were snuck out, et cetera, and so on for like that. And uh Wow. Uh it was we were we were we were pretty good friends. And uh I'm trying to remember, but just one day he said, They're killing my people. That's a hell of a thing they bring into conversation. Yeah. But Awful. uh the gravity did sink in on that. Because that was close. You know, it was a friend of mine. Sure. And uh, anyway, but so through that association, I did find out that there was there was communication and there was people that knew and uh, uh, they were uh, trying to do things, trying to get people out and so on and so forth. And of course, uh, and his dad, he says, <laughs> I remember this, he says, Give a soda to the little Catholic boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's cute. Yeah. It's very cute. Yeah. So that was Rochester. And when you were living in Nebraska, what was it like? Those were my Huck Finn days. So your Huck Finn days. Okay, yeah, that's, so. I've always referred to them because 
that that town is right on the Missouri River. Oh, really? Oh, it is. And like I said, when every spring it flooded and uh, came right up the main street. And uh, it was uh, uh, on, on any given Saturday night, there was about 5,000 people. But they were all the farmers that came in. And while I was there, when I was living there, uh, I delivered the uh, local paper. And uh, I also uh, sold the Omaha World Herald on Saturday night. It would be called the Sunday edition. But I sold it, you know, just hawked it and sold it on the corner down in uh, in Plasmouth. And uh, they, again, they had... Uh, and I recall a market that was called Hinky Dinks. Yeah. The Hinky Dink Markets. Hinky Dinky Parley Vu. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and they based a, one of their jingles on, on that song. Huh. But, but uh, uh, in fact, I, I got to sing it on the radio one time when they had a, they had a radio show that they go around to the different ones. On local radio. Okay, yeah. so how old were you when you, when you did, did then? that? Yeah. Oh, that was what? 11? Wow. Something like that, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so was that your first experience with singing, or did you do choir when I you were I always sang. Okay. I always sang. Uh, but, uh, and, you know, I started between altar boy, and, and, uh, and I, which I started studying for in Rochester, and then uh, continued on. And that was another thing, too. The Catholic school that I went to in Plasmouth, Nebraska, now, that was attached to one of two parishes in that town. And one parish was all Polish. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's no longer that way anymore. But uh, at that particular time, there were uh, two entirely different parishes. And the uh, our parish priest, who's a Monsignor, uh, had gone through seminary with then Pope Pius XII, and they wrote each other. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They were friends, basically. Yeah, and they wrote each other, and people, well, how'd they get the mail? Diplomatic pouch. Sure, right. It had the to be church. protected, yeah. Yeah, wow. it was diplomatic pouch. And uh, they and they snuck things through and so forth. But anyway, it was it was very interesting. Sister Celestine was uh, uh, my main teacher there. Loved that woman. She was great. Taught me, don't... Put anybody, including priests, etc., on a on a pedestal. We're all human beings, and treated accordingly. And don't don't be disappointed in in somebody's actions, uh, just because they are maybe a priest or maybe a nun or maybe this, maybe that, maybe even the pope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe even the pope. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, and and I'll be forever indebted to her because it made me it made me think, you know that uh, no that's yeah <laughs> it's it's very interesting because when, when I've talked to people who were brought up Catholic their whole lives it's one or the other it's they were taught this idea of free thinking and free you know you ultimately realize that we are all per, imperfect people mm. but then i've also heard the other side of it which is the the sense of they were trying to be indoctrinated into the mm. teachings and and it's, it's it's very fascinating to me to hear how that happens cuz you've been a catholic your whole life you're still you know a practicing catholic and yeah that's true and it's That's interesting true. to see that someone like that was taught at such a young age mm. that there is that that free thinking 
aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. It was very true. But anyway, uh, I was going to school there and uh, uh, Jim Mortensen and my mother uh, went through and they were going their way to California and they eventually got to uh, uh, Monrovia, California. Okay. And uh, 1947, of course, I was a, I was there. Let's back up just a little bit. I was there for for uh, uh, victory, VJ, uh, victory in Europe and victory in over Japan, and there was a big, big uh, air force base just south of Omaha, off at Field, and uh, the B 29s That's where they took off from and went out to to the islands. Really? Uh, yeah. They, uh, they <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. But I would see them all the time. And there was also a big uh, prisoner of war camp just outside of town. Right. German prisoner of war camp. Of course, that, that plopped them just in the middle of the United States <laughs> where they're going to go. You know? Sure. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I remember seeing them hanging on the fence and just waving to us because the highway, Lincoln Highway, went right, right past. So you were literally greeted by Nazis as you were, as you were driving by. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They'd wave to you, so on and so forth. They were all just, you know, Joe. Uh, they were the G.I. Joe of the Germans is what it was, you know. Right. Now, uh, insofar as uh, uh, it, we, I never feared them. I never worried about, you know, them escaping or anything else like that. Just never, never bothered me. Interesting. And, uh, and then, as far as I know, there was nothing that ever happened. They, uh, in fact, they, they, they got better food and everything else for crying out loud. Yeah, that's what I heard, yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes, they got better treatment than the people living nearby who were not in a POW camp. So, yeah. 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 Wow. But, uh, and it was, uh, it was interesting. But, we, you know, just a young boy and so on like that. The significance of it sometimes escapes you until later on you think, wow, you know, that was, uh, that was, that was something. Uh, but anyway, I was there and then along came about 1947 and my, my parents, uh, Jim and uh, my mother moved to Monrovia and so they sent for me and uh, my uncle was still associated with the, he wound up, my uncle Cortland, by the way, he wound up being the uh, Western Division Manager for the Union Pacific. Oh wow! Yeah, he was uh, uh, quite a quite a high mucky muck, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, he owned Western Airlines, the railroad at that time, so I got to fly out. Really? Yeah. Same deal? Was it just you had to pay the tax? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I flew out of Omaha, landed in Denver, and uh, uh, stayed on the same plane, and then took off from Denver on out to the coast. Huh. All in one night. <laughs> wow. Long night, I'm sure. So what was that like, early commercial airfare? Air, air it travel? was very interesting. Of course, it was a lot. In fact, they, they took me up into the cockpit. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they knew who, who I was, you know, my my uncle was and all that sort of stuff. And I, wanted, I got to sit in the seat and everything. Oh, yeah. Wow. In the, in the co-pilot seat. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And these were old... Uh, You'd call them a, a DC-4. Uh, it, uh, they were the two-engine uh, standard 
airplane for for uh, transportation at that particular time. And not long after that, then they got the four engine and they, they graduated up. You know. Wow. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. Huh. <laughs> um. So you make it to California. And so you're living in Monrovia with your mom and stepfather. Right. 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 And so yeah. where does it go from there? Well, I, uh, we were living on Lemon Avenue then. That's where the first place we lived. And I went to uh, Clifton Junior High, which was eight, seventh and eighth grade. And I was in the eighth grade and I graduated from there and went on from there to uh, Monrovia. And it was a... Uh, Monrovia Arcadia Duarte Union High School. Mad. Huh. <laughs> and it was, uh, but they had 3,600 students. Wow, okay. And, Decent and, size, yeah. Yeah, it was a big school. and uh, But it, it serviced uh, for the high school students uh, the cities of Arcadia, Monrovia, and Duarte. And uh, now, of course, they have their all, all their own and have had for some time. Their own high schools, of course, they've grown ostensibly, you know, uh, uh, quite a bit since that time. Although Monrovia itself hasn't changed a whole lot much. Yeah, it was a nice little town. I remember. I remember the one of the first things uh, that struck me was the orange blossoms, because hmm. this was in the spring. It was just after I got out of, out of school, and. Uh, the orange blossoms were out, and man, it was just so sweet and it was beautiful. <laughs> hmm. That and avocados, <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> and uh, it was it was it was a unique experience. We lived, uh, we moved from there to another house on on South Myrtle, and then uh, my folks decided they they got a deal on a house and at a place. Uh, out south, south of town, and it was a, uh, a development, so to speak, one of the first, and it was right in the, in the bare foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains there. So I had a bicycle, and I'd go up up on the fire trails and, wow. <laughs> and everything, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I remember... A mountain lion jumping right in front of me one time when I'm I'm going down one of the fire trails. I don't know who was more scared, it, the lion or, my, or me, because it was just boom, and then he kept going, and I went the other way. And I got, you know, I don't know whether he was trying to get me or not, but the thought occurred to me later. Yeah, sure. <laughs> just in the moment, you're just like, go, go, yeah, go, go. Right. Wow. Wow. So did your, was your stepfather... Um, Still in the with the railroad at that point? No, no, no. He he uh, he went to work for a place called Young's Market, and uh, which was up on Foothill Foothill Boulevard, and uh, just about a block and a half away from the theater. And uh, Mr. Young, it was a it was a corner, just a corner market, and. Uh, I'll tell you who'd come in there was the parents of uh, Red Skelton, not Red Skelton, uh, uh, Spike, Spike Jones. You remember Spike Jones? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Spike Jones, and he he came in a few times. We got, we'd get tickets to go to see his show whenever he was over at the Pasadena Playhouse because my dad worked there. 
Huh. Jim worked there, and uh, so consequently, I got to see his shows. And uh, wow! And at that time, there were, and there were some other notables, shall we say, uh, that uh, Ann Southern uh, lived out in that area, as well as uh, I'm trying to think. Don, I can try to remember his name now. I can't think of his last name, but anyway, it, it was it was just a real nice place to get out and get away. It was, uh, you know, just very bucolic in, in a sense that uh, very relaxed. Biggest thing all year would, was the, uh, on I think it was May 16th, Monrovia Day. And that was the celebration of the founding of Monrovia. Wow. Yeah. And uh, in fact, I wound up, wound up getting married in that, uh, in that town at Immaculate Conception, the parish, parish church there. Your your grandmother and my wife. <laughs> so okay, well, so then let's talk about that for a second. So you, because I feel like there's might be some stuff missing between that and then meeting Nani. But um, were you, didn't you live in LA LA at one point when you were an older teenager, or was it Monrovia, Monrovia. the whole time? The whole time. Oh, okay, yeah, it was Monrovia. Got yeah. it. But uh, you traveled around. They had the PE cars then, and they were called red car. Right, and it was were, the, the cable like cars. Trolleys. Yeah, and uh, you know, like I could jump on, and for twelve cents, I could uh, go right downtown to L.A. Yeah, and uh, it was you know they drop you off right down by Ninth uh, and Flower, and uh, it was it was very interesting. But you you just it was a lot more free. Yeah, uh, we'd go to over because they were. Fairly, everything was fairly close. I'd go to Pasadena to the roller rink, go to uh, uh, various places around around the whole area. What what I'm trying to get across here is that it was a lot uh, freer time for youth in those days. In respect to, we'd hitchhike every place. Uh, we you know thought nothing of hitchhiking down to Long Beach and Huntington Beach and or or. Over to Pasadena. I've walked to Pasadena for crying out loud from, from Monrovia many a time, uh, and uh, it was just it was a totally different atmosphere, a totally different uh, outlook in respect to you, you didn't worry, you didn't have to worry. Uh, not that there wasn't things to worry about on, on occasion, but by and large, it was it was a much freer time, and you, you could. Uh, uh, enjoy a lot of freedoms that you can't the kids they can't do it now I mean kids today for crying out loud they're walked to school it's a constant it's a constant uh, uh, fear of mothers for crying out loud they got to watch about you know who's going to who's going to approach them they go to the park etc you know you follow what I'm saying yeah yeah so this is so what do you think changed like what in that mindset what do you think created that that change where it, people all of a sudden didn't feel safe hitchhiking or didn't feel like they were as free as it. Do you think it was part of the Cold War aspect of it? Do you it's think it was part of it? Yeah, it's part of it. Uh, in fact, speaking of war again, I'd like to back up just a little bit and and just touch on. Uh, you wanted to know the feelings of like the Second World War and everything. It was in a totally different time in respect to. You didn't question your government. 
you were behind your government, and not right or wrong, but you were behind it because we were involved in a war that was could take our freedoms away, and we all knew that. Whether you were five or whether you were 10 or whether you were 30, and as a consequence, people uh, just had a different attitude um, in respect to, okay, they didn't, I won't say they didn't question things, but they understood, okay, we're going to have to make some sacrifices for this. We're going to have to do this. And it was just done. Nobody bitched and moaned about it. It was, it was there. The, the war bonds, everybody, everybody got, got into the whole effort. And, uh, and that was including uh, uh, all the propaganda films, and they were. And uh, I don't think we were the only ones doing it because Germans did it, Japanese sure. did it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it, was, it was different in respect to you're trying to take away our freedoms in no way. It's not going to happen. And it was, it was an underlying uh, tenacity, shall we say. And, uh, yeah, we're going to see this thing through. And we did. Um, it was uh, so great. I, I just happened to be downtown in Plasmouth. And people went nuts. They just literally went nuts. I mean, and they, the, there were two saloons in town that I recall. And they were handing out beer, <laughs> and, they were gonna do, and everybody and these guys were just standing around and yay, you know, and so on and so forth like that. Wow. And the same thing, and the same thing happened with with the victory over Japan. Okay, you know, and that didn't disappear overnight. It was uh, it was the feeling. It was a, a a genuine patriotic feeling. We're we're going to get through this, and like I say, we did. So freedom triumphed. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It uh, uh, it was just you felt it more than anything else, and that was it. As a consequence, now you asked me what changed it. The times they are changing. It, you know, there was more affluence. There was uh, greater, greater freedoms to the to the point of shouldn't have been. And I think that's a good place for us to pause it. So just a little bit to wet your whistle. Exactly. <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and get into uh, some listener feedback? This week in listener feedback. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to go ahead and consolidate a bunch of feedback that we got. Um, a lot of you really loved Nerds on Words and the concept of what we were trying to go for. So I'm really excited about that. I know um, we're probably going to have a conversation then in the near fu- near future with everybody to figure out what we're going to do for scheduling, <laughs> how we're going to work it in. Um, but yeah, I think absolutely. We're, I think we're pretty excited about... Um, bringing that show to you more regularly in the future. I mean, we've only gotten two constructive comments on it, and mm-hmm. they're, they're they're honestly they're they're easy fixes. It was really things that we, we can go into. More, well, I mean, admittedly, we were just trying something out to exactly. see to see how it goes. And 
I I dare you to listen to any er, any early version of a podcast and and tell me if it was perfect the first go around. Yeah. <laughs> um, but didn't I say we've gotten more feedback about that than any other single episode that we've done? Well, I mean, I don't know. I think it's probably in strict competition with uh, your Roma episode. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, so we just want to say thank you for that. And rest assured, now we know that there's a rousing amount of support for it. We will we will do everything we can to uh, get that podcast up and running. Again, scheduling. <laughs> scheduling. We've got another person who said they'd be willing to travel to the Bay Area to mm-hmm. come for the Rosicrucian Museum trip. I know, we're racking up. I think we're up to four now, right? We just need one more person. One, one more, more person. And we have people who want to fly from across the country. Uh, we have people who want to fly from the north, the upper northwest. Like, this is some pretty cool stuff. We have people who want to drive from, like, Sacramento-ish area. Mm-hmm. So um, this is actually kind of cool. Um, yeah. So let's, let's see if we can get more people out there. Guys, if you live in Northern California, if you live in the West Coast, if you have disposable income and can afford a weekend in the Bay Area, good luck. Come out and visit us and tour the Rosicrucian Museum with us. We can get geeky and yep. then probably get drunk too afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hopefully if you were, you didn't drive because if you drove across the country, you are a very brave soul. Well, I mean, if you're driving locally or, you know, just, just make sure you Uber home or to your hotel. <laughs> Agreed. Yes, and this is all on you. We're not paying for any of this. <laughs> We're not doing a contest for tickets. It's not happening. Just, uh, you know. <laughs> this is just a bunch of nerds who want to meet up and hang out. So Yep, pretty much. Yeah, our own first, our own little Nerdonomy con in a yep. weird way. So, um, so, yeah, and I think that's where we'll leave the feedback for now because we have more to that we can get to the next episode. Okay. So, um, do you have anything else you wanted to add? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you guys do want to go ahead and send us your listener feedback, tell us what you think of our show, um, you can click that Talk to Us button on Nerdonomy.com. Otherwise, you can also hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anything like that. Just search for Nerdonomy. You'll find us. I promise you that. But the most important thing that you can do is spread the word of nerd. Tell your friends all about us. Um, if you enjoy what we're doing, um, it's definitely worth you know, notifying your neighbors, your schoolmates, your colleagues, your parents, your third cousin, your postal worker, um, your that grocery store checkout clerk. Your, 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 your grocery store checkout clerk, like you said, the uh, the coworker you're kind of on the fence about. Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. In people. fact, if you just tattoo nerdonomy.com on your forehead, that would be the best thing to do. But make sure you have somebody else do it for you. If you try to do it in the mirror, it might come out backwards. Right. Yep. Dear God, I'm, <laughs> you say that and now somebody's going to do it. <laughs> You've put that out into the universe and now someone's going to do that. I send me a picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Guys, we will uh, continue this next episode, the interview with Larry Mortensen. And uh, until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonme.com. Are you sure? Are you sure? Wasn't there some dude named Robert who used to? Oh, God. Yeah. Like once a while. Like that was a long time ago. And uh, and then there was a 
Then there was a guy, it started with a, a D, D, Daryl? Daryl, right? Darryl. There was a Daryl? It was definitely a Daryl. Yeah. 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 Daryl. Well, we've really uh, cycled through some hosts there, haven't we? Yeah. 